Well, we're going to jump into the Word today, and it's a privilege for me to be with you. I want to say welcome to those of you who are new, those of you who are watching online. Wherever you're joining us from, welcome to church. It's an honor to have you. Uh, we're starting a series called Reach, and this is going to be a three-week series talking about the mission of the church, not just the mission of evangel, but the mission of the church uh, globally and what the Bible has to say about who we ought to be as Christ followers. It's something that we do typically every November. We set aside a month every year to talk about who we ought to be uh, as the church globally, but also our, pl- our part in it as individuals, how we ought to live and accomplish this mission that Jesus has called us to be a part of. So the series is called Reach. If you're taking notes, the message title uh, for this message is, is called this, Taking Care of the Backyard. Taking Care of of the backyard. Acts 1 verse 8 is the theme verse for our series. It's also the theme verse uh, for the entire book of Acts, and it's Jesus speaking, giving his disciples this commandment. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You and I have this call, have this charge, have this challenge to be a part of a global church, of a transcendent church that was established by Jesus, and you and I ought to be curious about our part in it. How do we live this thing out and reach out to the people around us? And as I was thinking about this topic and this subject, and specifically today's message about taking care of our backyard, taking care of our families and our friends and the people nearest to us. I was taking a trip down memory lane, thinking about my childhood and my upbringing and my siblings. I grew up with two older brothers, a younger sister, and one of my most favorite memories growing up was uh, playing golf with my two older brothers. Now, now, let me set the scene for you, paint a picture here. Our, our upbringing playing golf involved a couple of things. Uh, every summer, our, our dad would buy us a family pass to the local nine-hole golf course where, where we grew up. And um, what we would do, none of us could drive. We didn't have our driver's license. So we, we would wake up early in the mornings, and, and we would jump on our bicycles We would grab our golf clubs, strap them to our shoulders, and the three of us would pedal our bikes, pedal our little legs, carrying our golf clubs to the local golf course, and we would play all day, and then we'd take a break, go across the street to the gas station, get some candies, get some chocolate milk, get some Mike and Ikes, and then we head back to the golf course and play all afternoon, and man, we have some great memories. But one of the things I remember, and and bear with me if you're not a golfer, I'm going to move quickly through this story, but I think it illustrates a point here. The seventh hole of the golf course, the seventh hole was a fairly long par four, and it would dog leg to the left. It would just, it would bend to the left. Now, if, if you're uh, uh, like me and you struggle to play golf, especially at a young age, off the tee box, the ball was never going left. I mean, every single time, it's a slice to the right. I lost so many golf balls on the seventh hole uh, of our local golf course where I grew up. And, and me and my brothers, we'd have contests about who could be the best golfer, who could do the best. And the seventh hole was always the hardest, the most difficult. And wouldn't you know, the one day where my two older brothers are a little bit preoccupied, 
Don't go to the golf course with me. I ride my own bike by myself to the golf course. Wouldn't you know, have the round of my life. I'm playing out of my mind. I mean, this is ridiculous. Nobody's there to witness. Isn't that normally how it goes? Get to the seventh hole. First time in my life, I hit a draw. The ball goes to the left, around the corner, right in the middle of the fairway. I birdie the seventh hole. It is incredible. This is a highlight for, for my 10-year-old self. Like, I'm freaking out. I'm ecstatic. I pedal my bike home to tell my big brothers, right? This is good news. This is exciting news. Something significant has happened in my life. You already know the response. I tell my big brothers the story. They said, not a chance. We don't believe that. There's no way that that actually happened. You're lying to us. You're fibbing. They didn't believe what had happened. I don't know what it is about our friends and our family, the people who know us the best, the people closest to us, but sometimes they're the hardest people to influence. Sometimes they're the hardest people to convince what has happened to us or something significant. It's difficult for them to buy into it. Maybe it's because they know the things that we've walked through. They know, maybe they know our past, similar to my brothers knowing that I wasn't a great golfer. It's difficult to believe that something great happened to me on a golf course. Maybe for you in your faith, you've had a hard time telling people closest to you about what God has done in your heart and in your life. And I want to appeal to you today, believing that God is the one who empowers us and equips us to reach those people. Even though sometimes the people in our own backyard are the most difficult to reach and influence, God calls us to do it. And I think it's something deeply significant because Luke, the author of Acts, he lists Jerusalem as the first place to reach. Now, now hear me. As I talk about Jerusalem and being a hometown in a backyard, I believe that there are people here who God will call away from Bismarck, Mandan area. There's people obviously watching from online. There are people all over. Jerusalem is your hometown. It's your backyard. It's your family. But I believe that there are people here today that have family in town, that have friends, that have neighbors, that have people, that have a Jerusalem that they ought to reach. And Luke uh, initiates Jerusalem first because it was central throughout history. The narrative of the life of Jesus leads up into the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a significant city in the Bible and in the New Testament and in the life of Jesus. And everything that Jesus established about the church Global church was initiated from Jerusalem. So, so Jerusalem is central, and if, if this is a, a metaphor and applicable to our families and to our backyard, your family is significant. Your friends are significant. But honestly, if we're going to look at ourselves and look at our own life, they're the people that we, we struggle to actually reach out to. We, we struggle to be intentional with them because, oh, they know, the, they know my weak spots. They know the areas where I've missed the mark. I, I don't even know if it's worth inviting them to church. I don't even know if it's worth sharing what God's done in my life because they won't believe me. They won't buy into it. And that's the struggle that you and I face. But can I tell you, friend, every time we reject the responsibility to reach out to them, we're also rejecting the power of God that comes with the responsibility. Let me explain. Acts 1.8, it says that uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, this word and, I'm going to nerd out for all of you who love English, you love grammar. Uh, the word and is a conjunction in this sentence, and it could also be translated so, or so that. So when it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it could also be so that 
you will be my witnesses. When we think about it that way, it becomes not our responsibility to empower ourselves to reach our friends, to reach our neighbors. It becomes God's responsibility. God is the one who gives power so that you and I can be witnesses. Sometimes we struggle or we struggle to take up the responsibility because we feel like the power is on our hands. We have to have all the answers. We already know the questions that they're going to have. We already know the things that they've struggled with, which has gotten in the way of their faith journey. We already know what they're going to say, and we don't know how to answer it, so we back off. Well, I, I, can't, I can't reach them because I can't answer their struggle. Listen, it's not up to you to have the power to reach them. God is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can be a good witness to the people around us. You see, power is given because power is required. It's demanded. It cannot be done on human strength alone. It's God's responsibility to equip and to empower the witnesses so that we can serve well, so that we can love well. We can be people who reach out to our friends and to our families. You see, witnesses, this word witnesses, sometimes it can be perceived as a churchy word, but it simply is the purpose of the church. You see, you and I have an obligation to be a witness of Almighty God at work among us. So when I talk about this, I'm simply asking, what is God doing in your life? Can we all pause for a moment and think about, what is God doing in my life? That forces us to take a deep breath and acknowledge if we're followers of Jesus, we know the answer sh should be something. There should be something readily available. God, he's, well, I know he saved my soul. And also, what has he been up to? God, what, ha what have you been up to? The fact of the matter is God is always speaking. God is always moving. He's always providing. But so often we neglect to engage with that. So often we don't even think about what he's doing until we come into a service or somebody asks us the question, what if it was our responsibility to be witnesses of God's power, witnesses of what God is doing, and simply ought to share that with people? What if the obligation to be a witness for God was as simple as that? Engaging with what God is doing and not feeling the responsibility to convince somebody of anything, but to simply share that witness, share that experience, share that moment with somebody else saying, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to encounter God and I'm going to leave going, I know exactly who needs that next week. I know the family member who needs this moment. I know the neighbor who needs this encounter with God, the pesky neighbor who every time this, this time of year when the leaves fall, he pulls out his leaf blower, turns it on, blows those leaves straight into your yard. What if that was the very individual that God is inviting you to be a part of their faith journey or their story or their relationship with God. That's what you and I get to be a part of. Jerusalem is significant because it symbolizes the hometown, the neighborhood, the family, the backyard. So I'm asking you, who do you associate with? Who is that for you? Where is your Jerusalem? Who are those people? And are you personally involved in getting the word of God out? You and I all have people that we associate with, but the, the question is not just who do you associate with, it's who do you bring Jesus to? And who are you bringing to Jesus? That is the mission of the church. And we pause to think about it that way. We realize we, on our own strength, that is a difficult ask. That is a difficult question.
Jesus, you're really testing me. But he initiates the power is so that you can be an effective witness for me. I want to give you three simple application points if, if you're ready for this or you're feeling energized or you feel like this is something that God is speaking to your heart about. I want to give you three simple application points. And they come from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it in the message translation because I love how Eugene Peterson writes it. But Philippians 2, 1, it says, If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care at all. He's clearly about to make a case for an objective for us as the church. If God has done anything for you, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way that Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, and he became human. Listen, this is how we successfully reach our friends and our family, the people who we oftentimes have the most difficult time reaching and influencing. Number one, you and I have to become uh, deep-spirited friends. You and I have the challenge and the obligation to be deep-spirited friends with people. Being a deep-spirited friend means the key word is, is, is spirit there. So, so who are you allowing into your life? Who are you being vulnerable with? Who have you shared those God moments with? Who have you shared those human struggles with? Does anybody know? And who are you seeking out, saying, every time I meet somebody, it's an opportunity for me to meet a human need? That there is a human need inside every single person. One of the most prevalent is the need to be known. Did you know that you can go out of your way to get to know somebody? I'm not saying introduce. I'm saying actually get to know somebody and minister to their spirit, become a deep-spirited friend. Let me ask you, when's the last time you went to a meal, you went out to dinner, you had a server, and you actually got to know them? They weren't just somebody serving you a meal. They were an opportunity for you to become a deep-spirited friend with. I believe in casual moments like that, the church has a significant opportunity to influence people because people take notice of, of, of others who take an interest in them. And that is the obligation of the church, to become deep-spirited friends. So do you have a heart to care? Who do you know and do you actually know them? Number two, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. This is where Paul, the, the apostle, he writes, and it's like, man, he's starting to get personal. Because everything in life that has built to this point, you and I can safely say that has taught us to get ahead, to be the first in line, to be the top dog. We want to climb the ladder. We want to be significant. We want to be on top. And Paul is saying, actually, I want you to put yourself aside. And as you do that, I don't want you to just put yourself aside and wait impatiently and wait for me to elevate you. You know, the verses that talk about humble yourself and I will exalt you. Sometimes we humble ourselves. It's like, okay, God, clock's ticking. I've humbled myself. Where He says, put yourself aside 
and help somebody get ahead. Whoa, 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 Paul. It's too far, it's too far man. Like, I get the whole humble yourself, but I actually have to help somebody go further, farther, faster than me? That doesn't seem right. Let me tell you, friends, this is, this is one of the best, most effective ways to reach family members, to reach friends, to put our priorities aside, to put our agenda aside and actually help somebody succeed beyond what we succeed in, to go further, farther, faster than we do, to launch somebody into maybe it's a career, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it is significant status, letting people pass us by willingly. People take note of those kind of people. And those are the kind of people everybody wants to be around. I've never been around somebody who has done this for me and said, ah, I wouldn't consider us great friends. Like, he maybe helped me out. No, this is somebody significant to me. I can think in my head the people who went out of their way in my life to help me get ahead. Those people are, have significant places in my life. Now, follow with me. What if, church, what, what if, there are people in this community that are waiting for somebody to do that to them, for somebody to take an interest in their life, for somebody to take a few moments of their day to step aside and to help them get ahead in life. What if that was the mission of this church? What could things look like? How could this change? And if you're wondering, do I do this? Really do I do this? One pastor says it this way. It's this question. Am I a person of probabilities? my person of priorities. The difference is this. In just a few moments, NFL kickoff is happening. Many games, we all have our favorite team. Go Vikings. Uh, we all have our favorite team. What if there's a few moments left in the game, your team's down by a touchdown, they're driving down the field, and the phone rings, and it's that sibling, it's that parent, it's that pesky neighbor who blows the leaves into your yard and they need you. What, what if that happened? I'll, I'll probably be there. I'll, I will probably be there after the game. I need to know if the Vikes are going to win, and then I'll probably, if I remember, I'll probably be there. Or are we people of priority? Do we mean what we say? When it's our opportunity to descend into greatness, to descend into our relationship with Jesus. Pastor Bill Hybels, great influential leader in our nation, talks about descending into greatness. That that is the call and the invitation that Jesus allows us to be a part of. And he argues that it's the greatest adventure of our lifetime is looking for opportunities to put our priorities aside and help other people get ahead and to descend into greatness, into significance, into other people's life and help them in their faith journey. The last point that I want to get to is this. You and I have to forget ourselves and become ambassadors. Forget ourselves and become ambassadors. And if you're here with me, you're like, man, that is a church word if I ever heard one. Become an ambassador for Jesus. That sounds religious and spiritual and significant. I don't know if I fit that bill. Listen, the word ambassador is significant. If you think about it in history, ambassadors are people who travel from destination to de destination, from meeting to meeting, to appointment to appointment, on behalf of somebody more significant than themselves. That's their sole job, their sole purpose is, is to go through airports, to travel, to sit through layovers, to sleep in hotels, to be away from their family, to be inconvenienced. 
so that they can serve somebody of authority, somebody of royalty, somebody greater than themselves. And most ambassadors would tell you it is an honor and a privilege to serve, to be invited to the conversation. If that were to happen in my life, if Pastor Josh asked me to go to a meeting or an appointment on his behalf, let me tell you, I would not be sleeping through my alarm let me tell you, I would show up to that meeting ready, awake, alert, ready to engage, ready to participate because I'm speaking on behalf of somebody greater than me. Man, what if? What if we as Christians saw our own life that way? That we ought to go from place to place, I'm talking season of life to season of life, initiating God conversations, being ambassadors of somebody who is greater than we are, the most royal uh, person and deity ever in existence, and we get to be his mouthpiece to the people around us. That changes our difficult seasons. That changes the moments where we struggle. No longer feeling isolated and alone and God doesn't see because God is saying you're an ambassador. And yeah, you're going through a layover season. You're going through a difficult season. You're going through a flight with no meal on it. But guess what? At the end of the destination, there is a purpose. There is a significant meeting that I want you to be a part of and I want you to engage in church. There are people around you in your own backyard that I have sent you as an ambassador to reach. And while you're struggling and complaining through the difficult season, I need you to know and be aware that there is a purpose with this thing. That I need you to be an ambassador for my name's sake. I want you to speak on my behalf. It changes the game. It changes the perspective. It changes the posture. It changes our expectation. And Jesus doesn't ask anything of us that he hasn't already done himself. He set aside the rights and the privileges of deity to become nothing, the NIV says, to become nothing, to become insignificant. He gave up everything for you and for me. And to think that, man, he's simply asking me to give up my priorities the way I want to do things, the way I see things done, that, man, I have these thoughts and opinions and suggestions. Man, can I just take a moment to say there are a lot of people who have opinions about seasons of life, seasons of a nation. Are those people just as opinionated about their rights as an ambassador? Are those the people who are having conversations, initiating them with confidence, initiating them with boldness, saying, hey, I know, I know where you sit, I know what you're walking through, and I have to introduce you to somebody. His name's Jesus. And I promise you, he can help you with that situation. Are we too opinionated to talk about the season of life that we're in, the season of waiting that we're in, the struggle that we're walking through? Friends, the greatest privilege and joy and thrill of this life is being the hands and feet of Jesus, of being an ambassador for his name's sake. And that's what we're invited to today. Would you stand to your feet? As we close, I want to read one final passage of Scripture as we close, just reminding us of the authority that God has over humanity, but also the privilege that you and I are invited to. And it's in Isaiah 59. Verse 1 says this, Surely, surely 
The arm of the Lord is not too short to save or to reach, nor his ear too dull to hear. Jumping down to verse 16, it says, He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So catch this. His own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Jumping down to verse 20, it says this, The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, to those in Bismarck, to those in our very backyards who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put on your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever. God is saying my arm is not too short to save. I proved it once. But I want you, church, I want you, evangel, to participate in this thing. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the wisdom. I'll give you the knowledge. I'll give you the insight. But I'm asking for a contrite heart, willing to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. We become the hands and feet of Jesus. When we reach our families and we reach our friends and we reach our neighbors, with every head bowed and every eye closed, in a moment of response, in a moment of reflection, maybe there's a few of you here who, you, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've never surrendered your life to him, and maybe there's some of you, maybe you did that, and you've walked away, or you left the church, or you left your faith, and today's the day we're here jumping on board with this thing, this relationship with Jesus. If that's you, nobody's looking around, would you slip a hand in the air? Just as a way to activate your faith. Yes, several hands, many hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, I see them. You can go ahead and put them down, and I'm going to pray with you. And understand that the prayer I pray is not what saves you. It's the decision that you're making in your heart and with your mouth to follow Jesus. Lord, we love you. We surrender to you. God, we give you all praise and all honor and glory because you are worthy of it. Because your righteous right arm reached out and saved us. So we confess that we have missed the mark. We have come up short. But you sent your son Jesus for us, so we receive the free gift of salvation today. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for every individual in this room, God, that you'd give us a vision or you would give us a name, you would give us a face of somebody that you're calling us to reach. You're calling us to be a part of their faith story. Help us to follow through, God. Help us to become deep-spirited friends. Help us to be ambassadors for your name's sake. Help us to put ourselves aside and help other people get ahead, believing that you're working through that. You're empowering us. You're equipping us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're so 